Welcome to the Wealthy After Divorce podcast. Jackie Ressler, a divorce financial planner with almost 25 years experience, and myself, Melissa Freidenberg, financial advisor with Pearl Planning. We are both certified divorce financial analysts and your co-hosts. If you're thinking about divorce or in the process of divorce, this is a time for you to take a deep breath and give yourself permission to gain clarity on the financial decision they're facing. While the term wealth typically refers to money and possessions, we know that truly being wealthy means a whole lot more. Together with our guests on this podcast, we will help you live wealthy after divorce. Hi, welcome back. This is Jackie Ressler. And today on the Wealthy After Divorce podcast, I'm really excited to welcome Brett Sherman. Uh, Brett and I met because we were on a um, divorce collaborative team together. And I was really impressed with how she is, um, how she treats parents and thinks about them going forward after the divorce as a a family going forward and the respect um, and just wisdom that she has. So I'm really excited for her to be here. She's a psychotherapist in Birmingham, Michigan, and um, she's pretty wonderful. So welcome, Brett. Thank you, Jackie. That was such a nice introduction. Happy to be here. So we've been um, we've been talking about this. This is going to be airing right before my favorite holiday, which is Halloween, and my children's favorite holiday. Um, in fact, they don't really recognize other holidays as being important. But um, <laughs> right. but one of the um, one of the things, you know, I, I put together some questions, and um, we've been talking about this topic a little bit. And I think you had a really wonderful way of framing it before we jump into those questions. So would you mind just going over your ideas on, um, in general about holidays? Sure. Yeah, I would love to do that. I think so often, you know, my involvement, like you mentioned in our collaborative divorce role is around parenting time. And what does that look like for families going forward, including so many holidays, not just the, the headliner Halloween, but um, you know, how can we think about holiday division essentially, or spending holidays together when we're when we're thinking about divorced families? So, just a couple of thoughts, like you said, to frame the conversation. You know, first and foremost, without question, across the board, it's forever going to be in in any child or children's best interest to enjoy happy, healthy, fun holidays with their family. Um, that's obviously a loose term, but. What does that mean? It's really making sure, and this kind of is where I see my role come in, that parents are aware they are doing everything they can at all times to keep kids out of the middle of conflict. So, you know, we know from research and much more important people than me who are telling you conflict is bad for kids. So how does that apply to the holiday situation? You know, we want to make sure that our kids are not put in the middle of any of these decisions. I think of it kind of, in this way, I'll share this with every divorced family I'm working with, right? Presenting as a united front is so important. And that too applies here. We want to see kids aware of us supporting each other as parents in this process. And, you know, one way, again, Halloween or any other holiday that you might put this into action is by saying, you know, kid, Johnny, I don't know, you know, Johnny, why don't you have this time with dad? We'll make another special celebration together. And, and, what a relief for kids to not be put in the middle of this decision-making process. And again, holidays like Halloween, Thanksgiving, whatever, avoiding that conflict in front of kids and just making an easier situation for them is the most important, I think. 
you could give some tips just as far as what kinds of things can parents discuss before when they are, um, whether it's newly divorced or they've been divorced for several years, our audience would be people that are post-divorce or during divorce. But I think that this topic is really applicable to these post-divorce families that, um, that are trying to figure out how to make, how to make things work. How do we still be, um, act like a family, even though things are so different? Sure. And I think one of the things you said is one of the most important points I would bring up, and that is advance notice, right? How are we talking about these things? Not on October, you know, 28th, but how are we thinking about these things ahead of time? And I have two thoughts on that, right? So first to a parent that comes to me and asks that question, I might say, you have to be selfless, not selfish, right? And what does that mean? Easier said than done, right? But what does that mean? What is the most fair thing for your children, not for you? So something in the Halloween arena that would be better for me would be to be with my kids all the time, right? If I'm in a divorced family, but is that really what's best for them? I don't know. Um, If you guys as a family have always done this incredible celebration in your neighborhood or with a family member, whatever the case may be, is pulling your children away from that normalcy in their best interest? Probably not. So leading with a kid first mentality and saying, you know, I'm not going to make you split your trick-or-treating time to be in one neighborhood and the other to only appease me as the parent is a really important thought. Some kids maybe want that. An older kid might say, well, I want to be in two neighborhoods or I have friends in both. And that's a different conversation. But as a kind of general groundwork, being selfless as it relates to your kids and even we might say to your co-parenting you know, ex-spouse um, in terms of putting your kids first is really important. The second thought I have there is what would I say to a kid who asks me like, how do I navigate this? Which often happens, believe it or not, behind closed doors. <laughs> and I say to that kid. That's awesome. I, That's awesome. Yeah. And I, you know, I felt this. Thank you for sharing about your family's experience. I too come from a divorced family. So I've, I've felt this most of my life since I'm eight. And I would say to that kid, you can't please everyone. Yeah. It is not your job to, right? It's not your job to make your parents and or your grandparents, which we'll talk about grandparents in a bit as well. It's not your job to make everyone happy. And I really would impart that onto the parents to say, you need to take this decision-making or the stress or the guilt and anxiety, which, you know, every parent comes to me, I don't want my kids to be anxious. Well, one of the ways you can avoid that is by helping them make these decisions outside of of their arena and not making them choose between one parent or the other, right? It's an awful position to be in. And it can kind of become a test of loyalty too, which is a deeper thought. But, you know, if I'm going with this parent, does that mean I love them more? And then I'm betraying the other parent and just what a crappy place for kids to be. Absolutely. I can relate to that personally from my own childhood um, that uh, where there wasn't as much education and information about how sure. to how to, how to handle those kinds of situations. What do yeah. you, um, what, so that, I mean, that's a really great point that you brought up. How do you recommend that parent? Do you recommend that parents sit down and talk with their kids before the holiday about what their wishes are? It's a good question. So I think it's really age and kid, you know, age dependent and kid appropriate. So with uh, globally speaking, you know, I hate to give a number on age just because so many kids have so many different characteristics about them that make one more apt to handle this kind of situation or not. Um, but I think if they are of an age, and if I had to throw a number out there, because I know you're going to ask me for one, like <laughs> older than 12, right? So okay. young kids, 
there's no need for them to be involved in the conversation. They actually will probably feel better knowing that that structure is in place for them, right? And they have this decision made without them toying with that decision process. If they are teens or a little older, sure. Offer, you know, to hear their thoughts. It doesn't necessarily mean that's what's going to work for you and your co-parent, but I think it's wonderful to give them some control in the decision-making process. Um, and what that typically means is wanting to trick or, pl- tr- excuse me, trick or treat at one place and not the other, right? What, you know, or right. wanting to go costume shopping with one parent or the other. And we'll talk about all these things a little bit more, but for certain younger kids should not be included in that conversation. I think that, um, a, a, another question that comes up to me when sure. you're talking is that there are, um, there are plenty of families that cannot be together because yeah. they're, it's so contentious. And sometimes that I think happens more often immediately following the divorce and maybe as time goes on that kind of that intensity goes away but um for families that can't be together what do you recommend in those situations how do the parents handle planning whether it's halloween thanksgiving christmas hanukkah whatever so for a family that has that much conflict right because that's essentially what's going on if they can't be together it's a very conflictual situation they shouldn't be together I think it acts, there's this pressure or this, you know, sense of should be doing things together that actually is not the case. If you are having such conflict, first of all, you know, if it's externalized or even if it's an internalized conflict, meaning something you're doing on the outside, you're, you're saying, or you're yelling at each other versus internalized, you know, having glares or just feeling uncomfortable, your kids are going to pick up on it. So in those situations of really high conflict families, being separate is probably the best decision, right? And that it couldn't take away from having the kids being in one place, like I talked about, or having the sensation or feeling of, of, you know, hurrying along because you need to move from one place to the other. Sure. Those things can come up, but if we wanted to make that positive, which we always want to try and do, right? I have, again, something I've given so much thought as, as, as I was preparing for this, I actually can't find another holiday besides Halloween, um, (laughs) outside of Halloween with more opportunities to celebrate. And if you have to do it separately, what better way than to take advantage of other, other times and creating new traditions, which again, I know we'll, we'll come back to, but I think, you know, Halloween, if you just in short, think about the costume shopping process, the candy shopping process, new traditions. What a great way to involve your children in these ideas, right? There's Zubu locally. There's holiday parties at school. There's just a lot of avenues to celebrate this holiday and initiate some new traditions to get kids excited about it. Of course, with sensitivity of some feelings of loss that they may experience by it not being what they're accustomed to previously. Um, But I do really think if it's so... you know, if it's such a heated dynamic between you and your your co-parent or your ex-spouse, then it's actually not beneficial for anybody to for you to force that time being together. Does that make sense? That makes a lot of sense to me. Yes, it does. And I think that um, that is something that parents feel pressure to do. Mm-hmm. To you know, well, we're going to be we're going to look like good parents if we are all together. And our family is together, um, even for extended family. And just in some circumstances for friends of mine and, and former clients, it's just better for the kids if they're not together because it is contentious. Yeah. And it kind of goes back to, I'll just add that 
one of those first points I made. This is a kid first mentality. That's what we want to be leading with, right? So what you might ask yourself rhetorically, or even, you know, with the help of someone else who you're talking about this with, what is best for my child in the situation? And only those parents know what the dynamic is like, or if they're working with a professional, but what is in the best interest of my kid? Certainly to avoid conflict. And also, you know, what's the next step there? You That's for a family to decide. Okay. Those are, so I think what I hear you saying is that, that parents really need to talk about it in advance a lot. It's nice if they have the help of someone like you. <laughs> a neutral party yeah. that they can talk to. Yeah, I think it's definitely helpful. And what a great time, you know, if parents even aren't using, I don't know the familiarity of the collaborative divorce process with, you know, the, the listeners, but even for parents who don't have a mental health professional necessarily on their divorce team, it's not too late. It's never too late, right? Right. So if you're thinking about how holidays are, maybe you've noticed that it hasn't been going as well as you hoped. It's never too late to involve someone to help you in the conversation. That's that's a good point. And there are specific um, psychotherapists that that deal with mm-hmm. with parent coaching, right? Absolutely. So that is definitely something to think about. Um, one of the things that has come up with my clients a few times, I've had um, people mention to me that they're really worried um, about their spouse taking the child trick-or-treating because of food allergies. And again, this is just one one topic of many that come up. Yeah. Um, but what do you... So now I'm actually thinking of another <laughs> response that I have that maybe is making it more complicated. But really, as an overarching idea... It's a medical, this is a medical issue. Allergies are a medical, you know, they fall into the field of a medical decision, right? So in that, that's why I thought it was an easy question. Following <laughs> <laughs> medical advice, right? So of course, Halloween specifically, um, we're going to see some anxiety increase because there's so many opportunities for like peanuts to be given by a family or, you know, for different kinds of allergies to be encountered without realizing it. You're, you're eating food from a stranger, right? Um, they're not aware of your allergies. So I think first and foremost, you listen to what your doctor says, right? If you have allergies, you're very likely being treated by some physician. Um, and that takes a lot of the gray out of the equation, right? It's not you having to make this decision. The doctor says, X, this is what we have to go by. And that, you know, more black and white information is always really helpful. Anytime that there's clarity, it's a lot easier. And I think, you know, we both know that in our respective fields, but if there's clarity around a situation, it's going to be a lot easier for the family to navigate, especially in a post-divorce world. Um, If there is one parent, you know, I'm thinking of myself in my marriage. Now I'm much more anxious about stuff with my kids than my husband, let's say. So, you know, I could see myself like wanting to chase my kid to like make sure she's not getting the peanuts, right? One creative way around that is to make an allergy card without micromanaging the other parent. And I think a lot of kids now actually carry like a bracelet or excuse me, wear a bracelet or carry some allergy card. Maybe that's one way to impart to the other parent, like I'm own it, right? I'm feeling anxious about this. This would make me feel more comfortable since I won't be there to kind of oversee everything get the bracelet, create an allergy card, make it so that the onus is is not necessarily on that parent to take on your anxiety, right. but that you're helping with a solution. I love that. That's a great idea. That's a great idea for married couples. <laughs> yeah. I might, I might consider it. <laughs> <laughs> that is a great idea. 
And I think that those differences in parenting styles sometimes are part of the divorce conversation. And so when they continue after the divorce is done, I love the idea of the person who's concerned taking responsibility for a fix and then letting it go. And then trust it. So to take that a little bit more emotionally speaking, right? You're then trusting that other parent, which is such a big issue that mm-hmm. I certainly see in the divorce process is once separated, you know, losing so much control. A lot of families have a 50% plan of, of parenting time and you're essentially giving up 50% of control over your kids, right? Which is, is hard for a lot of parents, but in trusting the other parents saying they have my child's best interest in at heart. Of course they do it. It's their other parent and, and letting it go, like you said, is a, is a really important piece. Right. So let's talk a little bit about extended family. And this doesn't just apply, obviously, again, to Halloween. It applies to holidays. It applies to things like graduations and, um, you know, Halloween is one thing, but for many families, Halloween is not the most important extended family celebration. How do you, um, how do you recommend people that are a divorced family, how do you recommend that they involve grandparents and extended family? Yeah, I like this question. I think um, we often forget about the extended family when we're talking about divorce kind of, you know, arrangements. And in short, I think they should follow the lead of whatever parents have decided and, and respond graciously. So does that always happen? No. But the most important point, again, no guilt, right? No anxiety-inducing kind of decision-making process for the children. And it's hard, you know, whether you're in a divorce situation, a holiday situation or not, parents always are kind of fielding judgment from outside family members, right? About how you're parenting or how you're raising your kids or what they're doing or what they're eating. And, you know, we're often fielding this. And I, I think as a global kind of thought here, of course, in a perfect world, extended family members, grandparents would be graciously responding to whatever it is that the parents think. I understand that that's not the reality, but I think parents need to be so firm about boundaries because the the parents are the ones trying to kind of navigate this new normal. And we want to make sure that, you know, I'm, I'm thinking if I'm working with a family, let's say, and, and we're having so much good work about how to communicate better with your kids and how not to put them in the middle and how not to create these anxiety-inducing situations. And then a grandparent or an aunt or uncle comes over and kind of reverses all of that good work because they say, well, you should be with me and not your dad or vice versa, right? Um, I think it's a really firm boundary that needs to be set by the parents so that extended family members understand what kind of dynamic they're hoping to create within the family. And I think there also is a really simple way Halloween specific, certainly, to divide time with extended family members too. They should still be a part of the equation if they have been in the past. What does that look like? You know, like I kind of mentioned earlier, if one person's going costume shopping, maybe grandparents could take kids to a pumpkin patch or to a a zoo activity, or if there's additional activities at the school, um, involving them in a way that they still feel a part of it without feeling like they're missing out on something. And another thought that kind of recurred for me in thinking about, again, Halloween specifically is more plans around Halloween means more candy for kids, right? (laughs) 
what an easy sell. So this is our new normal. You're going to do, you know, we're kind of dividing time differently now, including grandparents, and they're going to take you for uh, candy shopping and you can have extra candy in that way, right? There's some reward element to more celebrations and there's a way to frame that at least so that it is a more positive change for kids. Those are wonderful tips. Um, is there So is there anything else that we haven't covered that you think would be important for parents to hear? I think it kind of it kind of comes off of what I just mentioned in terms of this new normal. And you know, you and I kind of briefly spoke about this before, but what is it like to start new family traditions? So in the way that we initially are talking about kind of overall themes of navigating the, you know, in a post-divorce world, what is it like to have holidays with kids? I think this is kind of on the flip side, what I would say which is when it's a new normal for families overall, right? And everything about the divorce process, I really love this this thought when you raise it to me, everything about the divorce process is new. And this idea is, is paralleling that sentiment of what new traditions can we create? Again, in a really positive light, right? This is new, this is different, this feels new and feels different. How can we make this special and exciting together? How can we capitalize on this new normal as it relates to kids who are maybe spending time in two homes on a holiday now, not one? And the the answer there is creating new traditions, right? And building in new ways to be excited, again, with sensitivity to feelings of loss for things that they maybe aren't experiencing together anymore. Um, But framing this positively and setting kids' expectations appropriately and in advance is, I think, a really beautiful way to kind of bring all of this together and just say, you know, we're aware that this is different. This all feels new and it does for me too. But this is, how, how can we create an exciting tradition together? And that would be a really great way of involving kids and getting their feedback to say, like, how do we make this feel special for you? Um, and then really, you know, if they think doing 10 jumping jacks and then eating five Reese's is, is exciting, then let it be. Right. That's a, that's a great tip. I, um, I hope that so many people hear this because again, I think that what happens to most families is that they don't anticipate that they, that whether they're the parent or that their child is going to feel a loss or that it's going to be sad or different without being mindful about it and thinking in advance, I think it can come up and catch you by surprise. So I hope that people listen to this because this applies not just to Halloween, but for all the holidays that are going to be coming up in your children's lives and how to um, really, I think these are some very tangible tips on how to make that better for everyone. I'm so glad. Thanks for having me, Jackie. Thank you. Thank you for listening to the Wealthy After Divorce podcast. You can find more information on Melissa Fradenberg and Jackie Ressler on our website, www.pearlplan.com, as well as on our podcast website, www.wealthyafterdivorce.com.